are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday afternoon, everybody. Great show planned for you guys today. Lance, how's your Wednesday going, my friend? It's going pretty smooth, Noah. How about you? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. we got a great show lined up for everybody. We're going to talk about an interesting article that you found on 24-7 Sports about Auburn's passing game. We'll get into that to open up the show. We'll grade the Akron Zips as we continue our schedule analysis for Auburn football as we drudge on through the dog days of summer. And then an interesting hypothetical question that I saw PFF ask, if you could add any non-quarterback to your team, who would it be? It was asked in the scope of the NFL. We're going to take this to the Auburn sphere, say what college football player would you add if you could add any non-quarterback to your team who would it be and then maybe something else that we could do that just occurred to me now as I was saying that was maybe we could ask all time what college football player would you add Mm. to your team right now that's a non-quarterback that is so we'll get into that later on but Lance you did find an interesting article on 24-7 sports that I'm going to give you to the floor on here yeah so obviously Malzahn during his tenure at Auburn his strength was not known to be the vertical passing game. It was it was centered around running the football. And I think a lot of Auburn fans would agree on that. I think a lot of Auburn fans would, would agree that there have been some frustrations, especially during the end of Malzahn's tenure, that Auburn had no passing game. They had no rushing game, so therefore they didn't really have much of an offense. We really saw that in 2020. Auburn averaged 25.1 points per game. That was 89th nationally. That may be I think that uh, right th- it's right there with 2015 as far as the worst offenses that Gus Malzahn has ever had statistically. It might actually be just a couple of digits worse than that 2015 team. I'd have to go and look. But Auburn has lacked a vertical passing game under Malzahn, and it was really evident during his last five seasons because according to this 24-7 sports article, more than 50% of the passes that were thrown at Auburn were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Anytime Auburn went to throw the ball, half the time it was with within five yards of the line of scrimmage. They weren't attacking downfield. That just was not part of the philosophy. And so it was really frustrating to see and watch an offense not be able to get a ground game going. And whenever they throw the football, they don't even try and throw it deep. They don't even try and get chunk yardage. And Malzahn, it's something that he talked about a lot during his time in Auburn, is the big play, having plays that go for more than 20 yards. It's like, buddy, if you're not going to throw the ball more than 20 yards downfield, you're not ever going to get the opportunity to have those chunk plays. Blocks aren't going to set up and people aren't going to, you're not going to make somebody miss and gain 15 yards after you catch a ball five yards past the line of scrimmage. That just doesn't happen. So this article is chock full of some really, really interesting statistics. I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's well written. It's kind of clunky, It's but it's a lot of really good information, a lot of really good statistics. When it came to generating pass plays of 15 plus yards, Auburn ranked ninth in the SEC with 15.4% of his passes resulting in an impact play from 2018 to 2020. From 2018 to 2020, 
the Tigers averaged 11.8 yards per completion, and that was 10th best in the SEC. You want to guess who the number one team in the league is? Alabama or Ole Miss, one of the two. It's Alabama, who averaged 15.3 yards per completion from 2018 to 2020. Auburn's just not been hitting the home run ball. It's just not happening. And so you could say, well, maybe it's the talent that Auburn's recruiting. Well, only Georgia signed more four-star and five-star wide receivers than Auburn did from 2016 to 2020. Georgia has 15. Alabama and Auburn are tied at 12, followed by LSU and Texas A&M. Auburn should have fielded a better passing game in the neighborhood of somewhere between fourth to sixth best in the league based on talent alone. Instead, Auburn was ninth best in the conference from 2018 to 2020, which again falls back on Malzahn's scheme, coaching, development, all those different things. Well, it's a problem because it's relatively easy in a man-to-man scheme to cover screen passes a because it's it's a hat on a hat and if you can beat your block a lot of times out there on the bubble screens you can get to the guy you're at least assigned to the player and he's not even running around so all you have to do is approach right and if you can tackle if you have great perimeter tackling cornerbacks which a lot of teams in the sec have had over the years that's going to help neutralize the screen game on the other side of things here though is Teams had a propensity to bring players close to the line of scrimmage against Auburn from a defensive standpoint because Auburn was the running the football so much. That was the basis of what Auburn wanted to do offensively, and honestly, it was the main thing that Auburn could do, if anything, most years, was run the football. So you begin to stack the box, you see more numbers coming up closer to the line of scrimmage, but you also saw that in terms of what pass defense plays were called on that side of the football like cover three and cover one naturally bring players closer with their zones to the line of scrimmage which make them actually and you see this at times in the NFL and we've seen the Seahawks do this among other teams why it became so popular for for a little while in the NFL is it can also kind of serve as a pseudo run defense because you already have players in position when the play begins because of how close they are to the line of scrimmage by virtue of the nature of a cover three or a cover one defense that's been called. And so even to defend the pass, they they weren't giving up a whole lot against the run either if you were dropping into coverage and you had linebackers that were relatively close to the line of scrimmage. Right. It made it really easy for teams to not... Teams just didn't have to draw up anything schematically out of the ordinary they didn't have to get out of their comfort zone on the defensive side of the football they didn't have to put a mad scientist cap they didn't have to prepare or at least over prepare for things that Auburn had on the offensive side of the ball from a defensive standpoint other teams just were not challenged enough it was a pretty basic scheme that folks were, were going up against and guess what when you hear about guys especially at the quarterback position and I think back to this when Jarrett Stidham was going through his draft process Former NFL GMs love to come out and say that Auburn's offensive scheme was elementary and horrible. Exactly. Whenever you're running the ball 45 to 50% of the time and half the time when you throw the ball, it's within five yards of the line of scrimmage. You're not going to have to put guys downfield to have to defend those those deep balls because they're not coming. You watch Auburn enough on film, they're not coming. Something that I continue to go back to in my mind is you remember that 2018 Tennessee game. There were so many different times where it just the fans knew, the coaches knew, Tennessee knew, everybody knew what play was going to get run when. 
and it was so horrible to watch. It's like if I know with my limited knowledge of the sport and, and the scheme and how, how guys should line up and everything and, and, all, and all that, if I know what's coming, surely these coaches on Tennessee know what's going what's happening, and they're going to be able to figure out how to stop it. They may not be able to stop it every single time, but it's still an SEC team with SEC recruits. So whenever you look at Auburn's offense schematically and what they like to do, they don't like to throw the ball downfield, but they did like to run the ball. And so how does that affect it? Well, you look at the rushing yards. With at least 145 rushing yards in a game from 2018 to 2020, Auburn compiled a 19-2 record with a pass efficiency rating of 145.5. When held under 145 yards rushing, the Tigers compiled a 4-12 record with a pass rating of 114.5. Those 16 games included a 2-8 record against the opposition Auburn faces yearly so they were heavily reliant on the run game and whenever teams focused in on that it shut down and what I was kind of getting at the point that I was trying to make from a defensive standpoint when you talk about teams that maybe employed some cover three or cover one on the defensive side of the ball and it's bringing those players closer to the line of scrimmage just going back to that point they didn't have to sacrifice much in the run game it's not like other teams were blitzing Auburn every play right I mean it it happened other teams were going to be more likely to bring guys closer to the line of scrimmage and bite and go after the run game but in terms of pass protection on the defensive side of the football you could call zone coverage bring guys closer to the line of scrimmage and you weren't going to sacrifice anything in terms of pass defense because Auburn wasn't throwing it over the top of you right like you never had to be afraid that Auburn was going to hit you over the head and if they did Auburn even had a, even when they had a beat on a man even when Anthony Schwartz track speed blew past somebody they weren't connecting right and we saw that so many times over the last couple of years so let's bring this to where we're at in 2021 with a new coaching staff how does Auburn go about improving its vertical passing game because I believe that the vertical passing game in this offense isn't all just about them hitting the 50-yard shot downfield. It's about adding more, and, and I think you may have already touched on this stat because Auburn threw outside the hashes maybe more than anybody else in the SEC during Gus Malzahn's tenure, even if we don't have stats to support that at the moment. I think that's pretty obvious with, with how horizontal Auburn wanted their passing game. I think it's more than just making it 50-yard bombs and connecting on those. I think it's also turning from a horizontal passing game to more of a vertical passing game even if it is only 15 yards down the field it also incorporates the intermediate exactly exactly whenever you look at the the scheme that Auburn's going to have to to change I agree with you it's not about just getting lucky and hitting those 50-50 balls and actually just calling those plays obviously you have to call those plays but in order to set that up your offense has to become more unpredictable and what Auburn's offense was under Gus Malzahn was predictable it's run the ball run the run the ball run the ball run the ball hit you almost knew when the shot play was you knew when the shot play was coming so it was really hard to actually get it to work especially whenever offensive line was steadily declining every single year that Malzahn was there then you didn't have the time to protect exactly exactly so Auburn's going to have to become more predict, uh, more unpredictable. They're going to be have to be able to run the ball and throw the ball efficiently. I'm not saying, oh, we should transition to, to an air raid and we should just be th- we nickel and dime down the field and then run the ball whenever people. No, I'm not. I'm not expect. I'm not saying flip the script in an con- entirely different direction. I'm just saying become more balanced, become more unpredictable in your play calling, and don't make your scheme so simple. These are SEC caliber recruits. They can handle it mentally and physically. They can handle a tough scheme. 
other teams can in the SEC. Why can't Auburn? The question is, does Auburn have the tools to do that this season and bring more of a vertical passing game to their offense? There are three tools that you need to achieve this from a passing game perspective. A, you need the quarterback. You need an accurate quarterback. I don't think you need a cannon for an arm because we've seen quarterbacks that have that, that don't possess top-end arm strength but they possess the ability to throw an accurate ball. When you reach the college game, you can throw a ball 50, 60 yards downfield. Yeah, I don't need Brett Favre who can throw it from end line to end line. I don't need that. I just need a quarterback that can throw the deep ball accurately and place it in the bread basket. So that, that's, that's number one, is a quarterback that can accurately and consistently put the ball on the mark. The second thing that you need, you need an offensive line that is going to buy said quarterback enough time to make the read and then make the throw because typically these plays are five-step drops which takes more time to get back then you have to read the play and then you have to make the throw so you need the offensive line because those are longer developing plays it also takes longer for your receivers to get downfield it's just a longer developing play that's why you need the offensive line to protect it that's the big question mark for Auburn at this point the first two are big question marks for Auburn at this point, I think. I think you look at the quarterback position, Bo Nix hasn't shown the ability to accurately throw the deep ball for whatever reason that is. Is that mechanical? Probably a little bit through these first two years. Is it the other side of it, which is the offensive line, that is not protecting him adequately enough? Those are two big question marks going into this year. And then the third one also very well could be a question mark if we don't see direct improvement soon or even a transfer coming to the program. The third tool that you need is wide receivers that can stretch the field and consistently catch the football. And even last year with Auburn, the receivers had a case of the drops. And I think you had the first set of that point, which was stretch the field vertically, and Auburn had that with speed. But the second set is they had, outside of Eli Stove, because Eli Stove was one of the most sure-handed receivers in the country, outside of that, they had receivers with a case of the drops. This year... I think they've got some speed. Elijah Canyon, Xavier Capers, I think those guys can stretch the field with their speed with their speed, but they weren't the most sure-handed bunch in the world either during the spring game. And it sounded like that they were a rather inconsistent bunch during the spring practice period before the A-Day game based on what the coaches were saying about how one day one guy would look good, the next day somebody else. Nobody really emerged at the wide receiver position. So I have major question marks if Auburn can even achieve that this year, and I wonder what it looks like. With that being said, though, despite the fact that I wonder if Auburn will greatly improve in that category, I think they do improve just enough to where you see a noticeable difference because the scheme is different. It's going to be incorporated more into their play calling. They're not going to live outside the hashes as much as Gus Malzahn did. I don't think that they're going to live at the line of scrimmage as much in the passing game as Gus Malzahn wanted to I think they're going to throw across the middle of the field more I think we saw that to a degree in the spring game and they're going to try and pull Bo Nix along in that category I think of this group of three tools that I've talked about the player or the position group that we see take the biggest jump forward in the vertical passing game and not just hitting deep shots downfield but also the intermediate passing game 15-20 yards down the field I think we see the greatest improvement under Bo Nix this season I agree with you whenever you whenever you look at this these these wide receivers you know an issue that they've they've had in the past under Malzahn is they were not the best route runners not necessarily and part of that had to do with the fact that 
Malzahn's scheme didn't necessarily work. Anthony Schwartz came on a podcast that I helped with, Locked on Auburn, and literally said, we didn't really run routes at Auburn. We didn't really... He's not the first receiver to say that And he's not the first. Ricardo Lewis said it when he was drafted. There were a lot of issues schematically with these receivers, and that's that's a reason why I do think this offense is going to improve. I don't think it's going to improve dramatically, but it's going to be better than 25.1 points per game. It got to the point where receivers would get drafted or receivers were going through the draft process and they had to bash Auburn's scheme to sell GMs on the idea, oh, these guys are still untapped potential they haven't been they're still malleable we could still turn them into what they want to what we want to what we've seen in college is not the end result of these receivers right and that's because they really and and there is some truth to that now the question is is it too little too late to develop these players have has what they've learned in college been so ingrained in them that they can't when they get to the next level adjust quickly enough because they don't wait on you in the nfl that just because they, they think that there's some potential there, they're not going to wait on you. They will get someone in there that will produce. You've got, once you get your shot in the league, you better be making it count, especially when you're a fringe guy every time you step on the field or else you're getting cut. And you see that every preseason. Even guys who had good preseasons, you're like, oh, this guy may make the team. And then they don't make the team and there's just limited space in the NFL even more limited than in college and when you get your shot you better make it count or else you are off the team even if you make it count you may be off the team because there may be no room for you and so for a lot of times for these Auburn receivers it's been too little too late for them when they get to the NFL to be able to turn things around and so sure when people see where Seth Williams gets drafted like man this guy's gonna tap potential he could be the still of the draft he also could equally not be on the team for very long. I'm not saying that the Broncos are going to cut him this year, but it could just be a cup of coffee for Seth Williams in the NFL, right? And that's what the previous coaching staff has done to this receiver room and why it's held him back for so long. Right. My final thoughts on this receiver room is you look at these guys that they have on roster, you look at their style of play, I don't know if Auburn has a receiver on roster that that can be that big physical receiver that can stretch the stretch the field and actually catch balls downfield outside of Elijah Canyon. I think Capers possesses it we just haven't it, like he, he's got great top end speed and he's tall he possesses the same measurables that you get with Elijah Canyon the problem is he was hurt during the spring and we didn't get to see anything about it and then he played limited action last year due to the fact that he was behind a log jam at wide receiver but from everything that we hear about capers right like he was the him and Kobe Hudson were the the golden boys of the future receiver room at Auburn and, and Canyon's the player that came out of nowhere and we've really only seen him. What, did he have like two or three catches in the bowl game? Maybe four tops? Right. And all we remember is the touchdown. And then in the spring game, he was Bo Nix's bailout guy. He was the number one target for Bo Nix. And I will, he played really well. I will say moving forward, Auburn's got three sophomore receivers that should start this season. That's really, really good for Auburn moving forward. If they're going to have to, after Bo Nix, think about this. Bo Nix will have his junior season this year. He'll have his senior season next year. And Auburn will have three, if all of them don't leave for the NFL draft, Auburn will have two or three senior receivers that would be starting for them, breaking in a new quarterback. Quick question to you then. Does one of these receivers get drafted higher than where Anthony Schwartz was drafted at this NFL draft so you look at this receiver class they're kind of following the same career trajectory that the previous receiving class three guys all clumped together probably going to go pro at around the same time maybe one or two leave earlier than the others but of this receiver room that we are looking at right now 
does one of them get drafted higher than the highest receiver of this previous receiver room that just went pro? I'd have to see a full season from them first because yeah, they didn't really have a freshman season. It's way too early to determine this these guys, but they, they have potential. Like on paper, they look like they've got untapped potential. It's just I've not seen enough from them yet. That's right. I agree with that. After the season, maybe that's a question to ask when they're going into their final year on campus before they can get drafted when they're heading into that junior year. Maybe this is a question to the table for next offseason. We're going to take a quick break here when we come back. We'll grade the Akron Zips. We'll take a look at them for a little bit, revisiting our Auburn schedule analysis series. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Gaughan, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just wrapped up an interesting discussion about Auburn's vertical passing game. Now the Tigers might go about improving it. Some interesting statistics in a 24-7 sports article. Do you still have the article pulled up? I do. Tell everybody what the title of it is so they can go and find it go to read it. I think it's a great article. Stat Tiger. Harson staff needs to improve Auburn's vertical passing game, and it's by Stuart Carter. A lot of really, really good information in here. And so if you're interested in some of those in-depth stats, that's where... That, that was the article that we were talking about in our previous segment. So you can go and find that on 24-7 Sports. Pivoting here in our conversation, going back to our Auburn schedule analysis series, I want to grade the Akron Zips before we move on to Alabama State tomorrow. And This may take us a couple of our short segments, and we've only got a couple of minutes left in this segment already. Let's take a look at the Akron Zips on the offensive side of the football. We're going to do this for every single team on Auburn's schedule. In case people missed our conversation from earlier this week, now they're going to get some inside info or some deeper info on the Akron Zips football team and what you can expect going into that first game. I'll tell you, this is one of the worst teams in college football, if not the worst team in college football for the 2021 season. It's bad. It's bad. You're not going to, you're not going to see a lot of high, uh, high grades on, on, on this scouting report. Let's look at the quarterback position. What would be a grade that you would give the QB position at Akron? I would give the quarterback position at Akron a D, and I would not give it an F simply because I don't believe Cato Nelson is an F-tier quarterback. You look at his numbers in 2019, obviously he missed the 2020 season. In 2019, whenever he had a full season, 11 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 1,800 yards passing, that's not worthy of F-tier, in my opinion. Whenever you look at the season before in 2018, 15 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and then in 2017, he played half of the season, 8 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, 1 touchdown on the ground, and actually, in 2017, I think this is worthy to note, Akron was in their in their in their championship game in the MAC title game. Think about that. They're like two or three years removed from a national or from a uh, a MAC title appearance. <laughs> was a national. It's a national championship <laughs> appearance for the Akron Zips. No, but for real, like this program, while it may be one of the worst in college football, has gotten to their title game and has since just completely fallen off the map. So quarterback position, I don't think you can put all of the blame on Cato Nelson because you look at him statistically. He's not terrible. Well, he didn't play last year due to an injury. And right. So if you go back and look at last year's statistics, you would see Zach, Gibbs, Zach Gibson, which is not very good. He had like four touchdowns to five picks, less than a 60% completion percentage last year, I believe. It, it was not a good year for Zach Gibson. To say that he had modest numbers is an understatement for his season last year, which it was a bad year for Akron going 1-5. and five. The only win that they had was against Bowling Green, who went 0-5 last year, and they beat Bowling Green. 
31 to 3. I'm with you. D at the quarterback position, Cato Nelson is definitely one of their he may be the playmaker that they look to on the offensive side of the ball when you when we talk about what's going on with the running back room that would be their best player but he's currently dealing with or or I, I don't know what's resolved from this situation but he was suspended during the spring for Akron Tion Dollard who was facing a felony weapons charge he was suspended for the spring and I don't believe that that's been wrapped up I tried to find an article about its conclusion to that story and I couldn't find anything about whether or not Tion Dollard's still good to go for the fall season so there's some stuff going on there at running back but Tion Dollard if he does play is definitely one of the better running backs in the MAC he was an all-conference selection a year ago at 666 rushing yards six touchdowns he was averaging you know nearly six yards a carry something like that at Akron last year he's definitely what makes this offense go when it actually can score points an offense that only scored 17.2 points a game I'd give the running back room a D and if Tion Dollar does not play I would give it an F because they'll be starting a true freshman and John Zell Norrells who really doesn't have any experience up to this point right if 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 Tion Dollar plays this season I would actually put this running back room at a C I would say if you're an all-conference selection even at a group of five school I'd say you're an average running back all around in college football or your running running back room is if he if if Tion doesn't play I would give it an F because outside of Dollard, who earned first-team All-Mac honors, the Zips don't have a running back on the roster who had more than seven carries last season. With his eligibility in question, I, I, I can't rate it higher than D. It, but if he, if, again, if he returns, I'd give it a C. If, if, he, if he doesn't, this, this group's an F, simply because they, they have no returning production whatsoever offensive line had a horrible time protecting quarterback Zach Gibson I would give that an F I think the offensive line suffered more than 25 sacks across six games last year which is absolutely horrendous so horrible offensive line look they do return all five of their offensive linemen but unfortunate for Akron four of them are still freshmen they're second year freshmen and then the receiving core I would also give an F no receiver had more than their their leading returning receiver only had 12 catches for 160 yards and one touchdown that's 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 pretty darn bad the offensive line according to pro football focus who was ranked 125th in their in their offensive line grades at the end of the season akron has not one but two not two but three offensive linemen who have a season pass blocking grade at or below 28.0 oh man it's not good that's an f I think Auburn's defense is going to have a fun time. Even more of a reason why I think I'd like to see Auburn's defense out there from that conversation we had earlier this week saying, would you want to see offense or defense out there first? I'd want to see defense. (laughs) Going to be ugly, man. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're taking your calls, 334-321-1390. Tweet at us, at Point Gardner, at Daw Pound. That's how you can find us online. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page, which is also the location of where you can watch the show. You should go and check out what we got going on there. Really a great interface. Go and check it out. Once again, Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. We put up our article of grading the Akron Zips, doing our Auburn schedule analysis series today. 
And I know we were talking about that in our previous segment, so that's how that's pertinent. Go and check out that article once again on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Pivoting the conversation here, a fun thing that PFF put out today, and it was meant in the scope of the NFL, but I said, ah, let's turn this around, let's go college here, and let's take this actually more direct to Auburn. If you could add any non-quarterback to your team this season, your team being Auburn, who would it be? Briefly before I get into that, I want to point out that I uh, I changed my Twitter profile picture today. I had to bring back an old friend uh, uh, profile picture that I had used Is it for Sharif Yoda. I had to bring back Sharif Yoda. If y'all want to go look at just how that the fact that it exists, if you want to go look at that, I'm on Twitter at Daw Pound. Just just look at it. It's fantastic. But as far as players go, that I would like to add that are not quarterbacks from all of college football. I have I think Auburn has three big needs. And I've got some guys for, for each of these positions. They need a receiver that can stretch the field. We talked about that in the first segment. They need an edge rusher that can actually get to the quarterback. And they need an offensive cat tackle that can prevent Knicks from having to escape the pocket every single pass play. Those are the three most important positions of need. And then I think there's a leader in each of those groups that I would like to have. Starting with the receiver... I think you gotta you got to go Chris Olave. He looked really, really solid last season. If Ohio State can get their quarterback fi- situation figured out at all, he's going to be one of the best or nation's best receiver. I don't know if he's going to be the nation's best receiver statistically, but he should definitely be up there. I wonder why he decided to come back. I don't. I, I don't know why either. I mean, he would have been he would have been a first, second round draft pick, right? Right. Receiver 100%. talent. Fifty so. receptions last year, seven hundred twenty-nine yards, fourteen point six yards per reception, seven touchdowns, and he shared that receiver room with somebody else that I think you could also consider from Ohio State as a potential receiver that you wanted to bring to the Plains. If you couldn't have Chris Olave, you could also get Garrett Wilson, forty-three catches for seven hundred twenty-three yards. To talk about stretch in the field, sixteen point eight yards per reception and six touchdowns. So I, really, right there on par with Chris Olave. But I had Olave on my list as well. I'd, I'd take Ohio State's entire receiver room. <laughs> Who wouldn't? It would be fantastic. Two, two or three other guys in 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 the receiver world that I would like to pick up would be John Mechie, David Bell, and Justin Ross. I think those would be three other guys that would be really exciting to have on roster. I thought about Justin Ross for a second, but then I'm like, eh, it's his first year coming back from a year off from football due to an injury. How quickly does he adjust? He's also working with, and I know this is taking him out of his situation and bringing him to Auburn to where Bo Nix would be throwing to him, but. I'm kind of interested to see how things work out for him at Clemson this year. I'm rooting for the guy. I, I always want to see a guy make a comeback when they, you know, they love football and then at the drop of a hat, sometimes it gets taken away from him. I want to see the guy do well, and he's a local product from Phoenix City. I want to see the guy do well. I'm curious to see how things work out. I'm a little bit more reserved with him being the number one guy in the Clemson receiver room, the only guy who's been coming back that's really been playing consistently before last year. And he's trying to link up with a quarterback that he has not had to link up with at all in DJ Uyunga Lele. Right. As far as the receivers go, if I were to rank them one through four, I would go Olave, Mechie, Bell, and then Justin Ross. No Garrett Wilson? No. Ohio State. Okay. Instead of Olave, can I just say Ohio State's entire receiver room? I'd take them. (laughs) I'd take any of those guys. They're really, really talented. You know, Dylan, our other intern, Jacob's behind the board with us today, but Dylan, our other intern, suggested Eric Gilbert as a potential player and that intrigued me from a pass catching perspective because there's talk out of Athens that he could end up playing the X the spot that George Pickens was playing at in wide receiver before he tore his ACL imagine a 253 pound 
ex receiver. That is ridiculous. That is not named DK Metcalf. Whew. Which, how much does DK Metcalf weigh? Do we know? I don't. I, I want to say. I want to say two twenty five. I might be wrong. Oh, I think it's more than that. Jacob's on it. Once you've got it, my man, just let us know. But six four two twenty nine. Oh, I would have thought it was more than that. I was almost there. I was I close. I thought it was more than that. I was four pounds off. I'm a little. I'm a little bummed out. I thought he was closer to two fifty than two thirty. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah, he got to work on bigger. that. Got to work. He does. He's a freight train at wide receiver. But that's kind of how I view Eric Gilbert. Obviously not the speed that DK Metcalf has. More of a tight end usage would be what I was looking for for Eric Gilbert, which is something that Auburn needs. And Eric Gilbert provides that in a unique way because he can be an inline tight end or you can stick him in the slot. In Georgia's case, they're going to split him out wide at the X and probably use him as someone who's a little bit more closer to the line of scrimmage and also in the intermediate passing game. I don't think you're going to be asking Eric Gilbert to really stretch the field with top-end speed or anything like that. But I would like to see Auburn add... If Auburn could add a tight end like that and you could get the football to them consistently, you add a dimension to your offense that Auburn has not had since Philip Lutz and Kirkin. Right, right. And mo- moving on to to my second position of need... An offensive tackle that can prevent Bo Nix from having to escape the pocket every single pass play. There were a couple of guys that I that I had in mind, and I, I took I take a lot of stock in Pro Football Focus, so obviously that's where I went to look at some of the top guys returning. This is the direction I went, and so the guy that I came out with was another guy from Ohio State named Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford, don't know how to pronounce that. Thayer, Thayer Munford is where I'm going with left Thayer tackle. Munford. Uh, the, the article that was written about Munford mentions the fact that he is taking advantage of his super senior year, and I guess that's his sixth season in college and returning to the school for 2021. It c- cites the fact that he was a decent starter at left tackle for Ohio State in 2018 and 2019, but was elite in 2020. 91.8 pro football focus grade this past season. It was the fourth best mark in the entire country and the highest mark among tackles returning this fall. That's what I want. That's what I want. If he's good at pass blocking and he's the best returning tackle, according to Pro Football Focus, that is the guy that I want coming to, to the plains to play on the offensive line. It definitely shores up that side of the offensive line that has been a major weakness for Auburn for as long as I can remember from a pass blocking perspective, at least prior to Prince Tegawanogo was the last time I really think that you had a sure guy at left tackle. Winogo got better as it went on, but it took him four years to get there really. I'm with you, Thayer Munford was there on my list. I'm going to stay parked at offensive line. I'm going to go in a different direction now. Something that I don't think that you touched on, really. I went center, and I went with Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. He's the top center in the country. This guy's going to be drafted highly. Yes, please, if you're a Midwestern, corn-fed offensive lineman from the Big Ten, also known as Iowa, you can block and... Linderbaum is one of the best centers in the game right now. He's regarded as the top center, according to Pro Football Focus, the top offensive lineman, I believe, according to Pro Football Focus, coming back for the 2021 season. This is a player that could sorely help Auburn out at a position that is a major need and has been a major need since prior to Caleb Kim. There's been a little bit of a revolving door at center for Auburn until last year when Auburn had no one other than Nick Brahms, but it was either Caleb Kim or Nick Brahms for a couple seasons, and then it was all Nick Brahms last year, and I just don't think it's been very good. And that's going to weaken the interior of your line. That's going to make it harder for you to block in zone blocking schemes. It's going to make everything more difficult for you in the interior, but mainly from a blocking perspective in the run game and trying to get that push and take out a linebacker in the second level. It just makes things tougher in the running game. 
And I think we look at Auburn getting better inside the tackles if Auburn had a better center than Nick Brahms. Of course, this is all hypothetical, and Auburn's got no shot of getting somebody like Tyler Linderbaum before the start of the regular season. But I think where we can take this conversation before we get to your defensive guys, just a point that I want to make. Obviously, these guys, are they're playing at Ohio State. They're playing at Iowa. They're, they're not coming to Auburn this year, but this is kind of also a wish list for what you want to see for the future out of the recruiting trail. Exactly. I agree with you. And as far as the offensive line is concerned, I would put tackle at number one need, but I'm right there with you. I think center is definitely somewhere that Auburn has to go moving forward in, in the 2022 and 2023 class. Guard has not been a, a, a really big concern for me. As, I think it's been fine. Especially compared to the other positions on the offensive line. So I agree with you. Tackle and center for sure are two two places that Auburn could definitely use help. I at least like one of Auburn's guards that will be playing after this season. I love Brandon Council. I think he's really solid. I think Tayshawn Manning has had his moments of being good and has his, has had his moments like Alec Jackson where you're like, what is going on on that side of the line? But I like Keandre Jones a lot. And I've and the little bit of time that he's been called upon to have to step in last year when Brandon Council went down with an injury, he's made his shot count. And this new coaching staff, I think, likes him a lot too. He probably won't start this year. Uh, limited playing time, hopefully, because you want to see the entire starting five of the offensive line not deal with any injuries, but continue to develop behind an older player like Brandon Council, continue to improve. And when he steps in, what is a junior? When he when he gets to be a starter next year, he he's going to be honestly he might be Auburn's best offensive lineman in 2022 I agree with you I'm right there with you Council, I believe is a former Akron transfer isn't he he is there he he is there you go comes full circle I I, I bet he's excited to play the opener uh it's moving on though really quickly do we want excited that he's on this side of things I agree with you do we want to touch on edge rusher before we go ahead so the two guys that I have as an edge rusher that can get to the quarterback that I would love for Auburn to add would be Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, a former five-star, one of the best players in the country coming out of high school, and then Nolan Smith, the former five-star that is currently on the defensive line for Georgia. I think those two guys would be excellent edge rushers to add for Auburn. I like the Georgia one a little bit more, only because A, location. I trust a Georgia product probably a little bit more than the Oregon product right now, but I did say yesterday, if a guy can play, a guy can play. And I'm sure Thibodeau could come and make an impact in the SEC as well, but I just we've seen good Oregon defenses turn to above average defenses when they've played SEC teams so I'm a little bit more reserved on going out to the Pac-12 for defensive players but what I like so much about the Georgia transfer there or in this hypothetical situation if you're able to get a Georgia player out of this the reason why I like that situation a little bit more is because they run the same t- style of defense as already, the 3-4. Right, and there wouldn't be a lot of McDonald's involved in that transfer. It'd be Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. If somebody handed me a Chick-fil-A bag, I'd want the food over the money. That's <laughs> They got some good chicken, y'all. It's not the best chicken in the world, but it's good. So I think that was a fun little exercise and, and really kind of bringing it back full circle. Obviously, Auburn's not getting any of these players in these hypothetical situations. The question we asked was, this was from Pro Football Focus earlier today about the NFL, if you could add any non-quarterback to your team, who would it be? And of course, everybody, if you could add a quarterback, everybody would be adding quarterback because nobody seems to really be happy with their quarterback unless you have a potential first-round draft pick. Everybody else has got problems with their QBs, it seems. But this kind of also, in a way, because Auburn can't get these players, it created a wish list for us on the recruiting trail moving forward. And I think it's quite accurate. I mean, you're looking at receiver, offensive line, and edge rusher for Auburn moving forward. Three 
positions of need it feels like has been that way for several seasons now well you said only non-quarterback but do do coaches count can we add coaches to the to this uh to this team can we go out and uh, pick our favorite coaches i mean would you would not everyone pick the same coach would we all not pick Saban? yeah you have to I mean, there would, would, would be some offensive coordinators and defensive for coordinators. For one at Auburn, like for this season, I would not pick Saban. You're looking at me funny, but what did Nick Saban do in year one at Alabama? I mean, okay, so you're He's speaking specifically for 2021. Yeah, for this year. It says for this season. Well, I didn't specify that actually. So I'm going to specify now for this season. If you could add any non-quarterback to your team, who would it be? Let's change that to now. If you could add any coach to your team for the 2021 season, who would it be? I probably wouldn't go Nick Saban. I think he's a great team builder, and he is the best coach in college football all around. But I have been critical of Nick Saban when he maybe hasn't had as talented of football teams. And schematically, it has seen sometimes Dabo Sweeney and Urban Meyer have been able to get the better of him during his coaching tenure. Even Gus Malzahn. I think as far as defensive and offensive coordinator go, I would probably... I'm going to be 100% honest. I'd like a guy like Hugh Freeze or Lane Kiffin. I'd just like Same. to see I'd just like to see or Sark. I'd like to see how that worked out. One of those three guys, I'd take any of them. Be, I'd be happy with it as a coordinator. And then defense, I wanted Derek Mason. He was on my wish list and we got him. So, <laughs> there you go. I think Derek Mason's a good selection, a defensive coordinator. I like the Sark suggestion. I'd take of the offensive side of the ball. I'd take Dabo and Sark. I would love Lane Kiffin as an OC. That would be fun. I mean, if you're talking for one year, you go. I think you go all out, and you go for the explosive offense from Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze. What would Bo Nix do in a Lane Kiffin offense? I actually think Bo Nix is a better fit for Lane Kiffin than he is for Hugh Freeze. I agree with that. I, I agree think, with that. I mean, Lane Kiffin has a lot of intermediate passing, right? And I feel like Bo Nix can be successful with that. He also does not stay away from the running game. Not that Hugh Freeze does, but I think he may incorporate the running game in a better way for Bo Nix and Tank Bigsby to where it all just flows together. I mean, Ole Miss, what did they average? Like 250 on both on both fronts last year, right? it was year, solid. Right? Yeah, they, they, Bo Nix in, in, in a Lane Kiffin offense, would that would score points. You, I think that would score a lot of points. If you can stall for a second, I can find this statistic on Ole Miss last but year. 210 yards. yards per game rushing, two hundred or 344 yards passing yeah. per game. That's insane. And Auburn's got better players on the offensive side of the ball than Ole Miss does. From a recruiting standpoint, they do. Now, development is another story. Ole Miss has definitely made that side of the ball count a little bit more than Auburn has. But all fun and games. When we come back, we're going to grade the defensive side of the football for the Akron Zips. Continuing that segment from earlier in the show with our Auburn football schedule analysis. We'll wrap up our number one of On the Line when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Game show lineup on ABC starting with Press Your Luck at 7, the $100,000 Pyramid at 8, and Card Sharks at 9. You might get hungry watching the cooking shows on Fox, Master Chef at 7, and Crime Scene Kitchen at 8. Movie selection for tonight, Fast and the Furious, is on AMC at 6.30. In live sports, we have two NBA games on TV. Game 5 of a tied series between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers as the series heads back to Philly at 6.30 on TNT. 
TNT. At 9, also on TNT, it's Game 5 between the LA Clippers and the Utah Jazz with the series tied at 2-2. In the NHL playoffs, it's Game 2 of the Stanley Cup semifinals between the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights at 8 on NBCSN with Vegas up 1-0 in the series. One MLB game is on ESPN with the Boston Red Sox at the Atlanta Braves at 6. More of the U.S. Tokyo Olympic Trials at 7 on NBC. It's the day four finals in swimming. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here with you, wrapping up, grading the Akron Zips as a part of our Auburn football schedule analysis, taking a look at all 12 Auburn football opponents this year and ranking and grading their position groups. We did the offensive side of the ball earlier in the show. Now we're on to the defensive side of the ball where it, it marginally gets better maybe because of one player, but let's start on the defensive line. Horrendous. We give this unit an F and when we're, we're kind of grading this on the bell curve, whereas F and A are reserved for the most elite in their respective way, like the most elite <laughs> in the good and the most elite in the bad. And then B and D are your good or your bad and then your c is just your average so there's going to be a lot of c's on some teams when you get into sec play and whatnot because some of them may be average like auburn's offensive line i'd say is a c right now it's average in college football but from an sec standpoint probably a d when you compare it to the rest of the league statistically but that's kind of the scale on it defensive line i go with f these guys averaged over six yards allowed per game up front in the rushing attack in the Mac. Yeah, it was really, really bad. And as far as far as grades go, you know, as far as being elite uh, in the in the bad way, it's almost it's almost impressive in its own way that you can be so bad at something. You know, it's like bowling. It's like it's really, really hard to just hit one pin every single time you go up there and or bowl. Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Who is worse than Akron? Who is worse than Akron? <laughs> what? It's, it's all coming full circle. But no, this was one of the worst units in the entire country last season, and three starters were turned on a, on this defensive line that had a major hand and, like you mentioned, giving up 6.3 yards per carry. They need help. And, and they're it, still pretty young, too. They're Two still of those young. guys are sophomores. Exactly. So I'd give this I'd give this uh, group an F. Things get better at linebacker, though, because a 5'9", 200-pound inside linebacker, yes, you heard me right, that's basically Sean Shivers playing linebacker, 5'9", 205-pound Bubba Arslanian. And he was slaying last year. Led the country in solo tackles per game at 7.8. To put that in perspective, Jacoby McLean was averaging about 5.5. So he averaged a little over two more solo tackles per game than even Auburn's Jacoby McLean. Can I call this game against Akron and Auburn the Sean Shivers Bowl? Because that matchup I against Shivers... I want to see Shivers, Sean Shivers and Bubba Arslanian meet in the hole. Who wins? <laughs> That's such a... Oh, that, the, the names there. The, those names are, are, are absolutely fantastic. Shivers versus Arslanian. Shivers. It Can sounds we get like that a UFC? UFC? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a UFC <laughs> matchup. But yeah, I, I would give this unit a C simply because of him. Uh, like you mentioned, team high 74 tackles in route to earning second team all MAC honors. But outside of Arslani and the projected starting linebackers for the Zips had a combined 26 total tackles last season. DB, where you at? I'm I at went F. F. I went F. I went F. I'll say real quick about the linebacker group. The only reason that this unit isn't a D for me is because they have a backup linebacker named Michael Scott. That 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 that, that bumps them up. <laughs> that bumps them up for me for sure. Yeah, they, the defensive backs have an F. Three starters returned in a secondary that only gave up 211.7 yards passing last season. But I think at that's the because same everybody time, ran on them. <laughs> exactly. It's because the defensive line couldn't stop a nosebleed. It is it, it, 250 yeah. rush yards allowed per game in Akron last do, year. Do you remember? Do you remember a couple of 
of seasons ago whenever Tennessee was having one of their really, really bad years, and they had, like, the third best pass defense unit nationally, but their rush defense was, like, easily worse than the SEC and one of the worst in the country. I think it's very similar here. It's like, you're not going to be giving up a lot of passing yards if your opponent knows, okay, all we got to do is is run the ball and just, like, blow on their defensive line. They just fall over. So, looking at Akron as a whole here, they got two pretty solid players one of which may not even be playing in the fall which is Tion Dollard while he's still dealing with some some charges right now but then on the defensive side of the ball it's Bubba Arslanian at linebacker and then Kato Nelson's pretty good at quarterback he's, he's not one of the worst Mac quarterbacks that there is but outside of that Akron doesn't have a whole lot going on for him this may be one of Auburn's easiest opponents Auburn may beat Akron worse than they beat Al- Alabama State that's it for hour number one of On the Line we'll be back for hour number two in just a few moments are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls. All hour number two. We got a fun hour number two planned for you. We're going to talk about what teams actually can win the national championship in 2021. Yesterday, we talked about 24-7 sports blue chip ratio, and it put 16 teams on there, and it says that among these 16 teams the national champion will be found and I believe that that's true but I think that you can trim the list even more and you and I have trimmed our list and we have created an even more exclusive list of teams that we are going to say the national champion will come from this group not that all of these teams necessarily will make the playoff and I know that sounds weird because we've got multiple teams from one conference and they may miss but if they but they still possess the tools and the necessary factors needed to win the national championship. Someone could make the playoff from another conference, so this is a little foreshadowing here. You and I have this in our group of teams. You could make the college football playoff, but I still believe that you have no chance. Point A, look at Notre Dame last year. Yep. You can make the playoff, but I still don't think that you're capable of winning the national championship. And so... Let's take a look at this. Who is the first team on your list? And I think both of us should just go ahead and say it. We think Alabama's capable of winning the national championship in 2021. Boys, y'all know I like my Blazers. I'm going with UAB. I'm jo- No, no, for real. Like, for real. If it's anybody other than Alabama, I don't know what you're on at number one. Because they have shown time and time and time and time and time again, no matter what they lose, if Saban is there, they're going to reload and they're going to have a chance to compete for a national title. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say if it's anybody other than Alabama at number one, because I might put somebody else in number one, because you're, you look at, and Clemson's on my list, so let's move off of Alabama and let's talk about the Alabama-Clemson dynamic here. If I'm looking at Alabama and Clemson, they are having identical trajectories going into this season they both lost their quarterbacks one of which 
and Clemson's quarterback had more significant playing time, I would say, than Bryce Young because he got to play against Notre Dame last year and DJ Uyunglele. Clemson has a little bit more of the edge there in terms of experience at quarterback, but Bryce Young still may end up being better than DJ over at Clemson. Big Cinco, you may see him be better than him. For me, though, you look at the two, it does center around the quarterback position. Whichever quarterback ends up being better, that team I would give the edge. They both bring back, Alabama brings back nine starters on defense. Clemson brings back 10. They both had some of the better defenses in the country last year. They both have good offensive lines. They both have to replace skill positions on the offensive side of the ball. Clemson lost two wide receiver starters. They lost their running back. They lost their quarterback. Same as Alabama, the same boat for both of these teams. For me, it comes down to whose quarterback's got the edge. Whichever team has the better quarterback, I think that probably is who I would give the edge to. Statistically, I think they're going to be pretty even, but whenever you look at the competition they face, I think I'm going to have to give the edge to Bryce Young. Hypothetically, at the end of the season, look at the competition that that Clemson faces. Outside of Georgia, they don't really face... I don't know if, I don't know if you could look at their schedule and say that there's a top 25 team on their schedule outside of Georgia in their opening week. So can we agree on this then? Because c- comparing the stats, you see 22 pass attempts last year for Bryce Young, one touchdown, no interceptions, 156 yards. DJ Uyagalele had 117 pass attempts with 914 yards, five touchdowns and no picks. He got to play in that Notre Dame game. To this point, Uyagalele has a start and he played against Notre Dame. Bryce Young has significantly less experience against quality competition than Uyagalele. But I will concede that by the end of next football season, by the end of this one here in 2021, Bryce Young will have surpassed them in that because of the strength of schedule. Do you know how we talk about Texas as being a place where there is so much talent, but they just never seem to do anything with it? It's just like any coach that goes there is not going to have a good time. Alabama is the complete opposite. You have somebody step into your program that is into an unknown and they will become known and they will become talented because they were because that's just the way Alabama's been under Saban. I don't see that changing this year. I I I would have to give Alabama the nod over a, the cup a couple of these other teams I have on my list. So if you're just now joining us on the show, we're trimming our list from yesterday. The 24/7 Sports Blue Chip Ratio put out a list of 16 teams that they said this will be where the national champion comes from. We're trimming the list even smaller than 16 teams, and we are giving you a group of teams that we say out of these teams, the national champion will be produced. And so far on my list, I've got Alabama and Clemson. Do you have Clemson on your list? Are you leaving them off? I do have. I'll I'll put Clemson on the list. Realistically, I think there are three teams that can compete for the title this season. I'll put Clemson on the list. I approached this question with three parts I think this is what you need at the most simplest formula if there was a formula for winning a national championship at its most simplest form you have to have three things a this is probably more important than the others but you need an excellent quarterback you look at the teams that have won the national championship over the last several years the teams that have got there last year both of them had excellent quarterbacks Mac Jones and Justin Fields Alabama wins it with Mac Jones and an explosive offense and an excellent quarterback is at the core of an explosive offense Alabama didn't have super explosive offenses when Jake Coker was quarterback or when Greg McElroy was quarterback they were winning on defense and a solid running game back then the game has changed a little bit you need excellent quarterbacks Clemson gets there with Trevor Lawrence excellent quarterback Alabama gets there with Tua with 
with Jalen Hurts. You, you see what I'm talking about. Clemson does it with Deshaun Watson. Since about circa 2014, 2015, you had to have explosive offenses with electric quarterbacks. So that's number one there. The second thing for me on my list, you got to have a good offensive line because point A gets neutralized by point B if point B isn't going strong. Also, point B with a good offensive line is going to help you have a running game regardless of whether or not your running back's actually that good. Like, I don't, I don't think, and Travis Etienne, and I need to really qualify this here, Travis Etienne's longevity and his versatility placed him as one of the best running backs in college football going into last season. Prior to last season, I never really was like, yeah, Travis Etienne's one of the best runners in college football. I think he was one of the better overall running backs because he had versatility, but still there might have been other players where I was like, yeah, that guy's a rusher is better than him he averaged a little over five yards per carry which is good but there are other guys that are in the elite category in college football like Tank Bigsby who averaged more than six yards a carry last year on a much worse offensive line right and so a good offensive line can make pedestrian running backs look so much better so a good offensive line is also a necessity and then the last one and this one maybe not as important as it was 10 years ago but still important I still think you have to have a good defense you can't have a defense made out of paper mache because what happens to Oklahoma every year Oklahoma could still throw up 30 points maybe more on an Alabama team in a college football playoff semifinal but Alabama will drop 50 on them so you can't have a paper mache defense or something like that and and I, maybe Oklahoma is not the greatest example because I actually think they have a pretty good defense this year. But previous Oklahoma teams are a great example of this. You can't have a paper mache defense and still expect to win the college football playoff. You still need a good defense. It doesn't have to be elite like it used to because if that was the case, Georgia would be winning national championships, right? You need the other two first, but defense is still important. So that was the way I approached it on my list. And so far, we both have the same ones, Alabama and Clemson. Who's your third team that you can that you can see winning it? The third team that I can see winning the national title is Georgia. And I've said it on this show before, even though I, I think it's I think it's 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 logical to put Alabama at number one and I'd have a I'd have a really hard time think er, putting somebody above them. I've said on the show if there is a year that Alabama's not going to do it, it's this year. And it could be Georgia's year. They have a quarterback. They have a running back. They have pieces on the offensive line. They finally have the offense. They finally have an offense. And you and I have talked about this before. Is like Georgia, even just up until like last year's, just been living in 2005. Like they've been just yeah. doing the same pro style thing. It's a fun over time to live. Again. I miss the, I miss those days, but you know. <laughs> but they're actually like throwing the ball downfield. And they actually looked dynamic. And they, if George Pickens was not out, and they had Eric Gilbert, George Pickens. Tremaine Burton I'm really disappointed that Demetrius Robinson uh, Robertson uh, left the program former five-star from Cal uh, is in the transfer portal right now and Auburn could use a guy like that man would I love to see Auburn pick him up I've not heard anything about where he's going but uh, uh, but as far as their receiver room goes right now goodness gracious it's so talented and they've got a quarterback that can actually throw the ball downfield like the they've got a chance to really go far and you look at the defense it's like well they only bring back four starters it's like yeah but they're still recruiting at a level that Alabama is they've got the coordinators they got the coach for it why wouldn't they compete with Alabama this year for a title especially if Bryce Young doesn't have a good year if they get both get to the SEC title game I I, I could see Georgia finally taking one I could see Nick Saban finally losing to a former assistant coach the other thing about the Georgia defense here is despite the fact that they lost so much they replaced it with top end talent especially in the secondary which is where they really needed to replace it Tyke Smith coming out of West Virginia he was even higher touted than 
Auburn getting Dreshawn Miller. I, I thought Tyke Smith would have been a huge get for Auburn and he would have been sliding in next to Smoke Monday at safety if he were to be coming to Auburn, but he didn't. He went to Georgia, and you understand why, especially with his connection to the former West Virginia defensive backs coach who is at Georgia right now. But then they also got Clemson all-conference player for the last two years, Darian Kendrick, like not that long ago. And then they got Eric Gilbert in the same day. Like Georgia finally has the offense that when they play great defenses, you're like, okay, these guys can score now. At least we expect that they will. With JT Daniels coming back for a full season, they return all of these wealth of riches at skill positions and I think the defense going back to what I said in my criteria you need an excellent quarterback first JT Daniels checks that box you need a good offensive line Georgia has guys on this offensive line like Jamari Sawyer that's going to get drafted highly next year could be a first round draft pick they're consistently now churning out guys on the offensive line to the NFL offensive line check they bring back several pieces on their offensive line last year three out of five are coming back once again check you get to solid defense now I didn't say they had to have an elite defense just needs to be solid just for the fact that they lost all those players last year you talked about how they've recruited the defensive side of the ball and then with the transfers that they've got coming in are you going to be the guy out there to say Georgia's defense isn't going to be very good this year they're going to be good and so Georgia is on my list as well but whenever you look at their schedule and I think we I said the, the same thing yesterday they should be favored in every single game that they play even the Clemson game I think they should be favored in that game as well I think they win right now if I'm making a a pick at this moment I think Georgia wins week one against Clemson if Clemson wins that game week one then they are a lot better and DJ Uyangalele is a lot better than I think he is and I think that team is and so they even with Clemson's uh easy schedule I think they should make the playoff if they beat a team like Georgia week one but if Georgia wins that game playoff team in my mind if the Georgia Clemson game was played in week three I could I would feel a lot better about picking Clemson yeah because at that point I think the offense would have figured things out a little bit quicker but Georgia's going into that game having things figured out on offense because once again they returned seven starters on that side of the ball but Curious Jackson, I think, even though he's not being counted in that group, I think you could say even eight because Curious Jackson's coming back. You got Jermaine Burton back. You've got both your running backs back. You've got your quarterback back. You've got your all, pretty much all of your offensive line back as well. Three out of those five guys back. There's just so much coming back off of an offense last year that was still pretty good, ranked 38th nationally and scoring 32.3 points per game. I expect to jump in that this year. Just so much experience. They have more things figured out, whereas Clemson has to replace the core of what they used to score they still bring back a decent amount of offensive linemen but now they have to bring back they have, they have to put in and break in a new quarterback a new running back and two wide receivers that's just too much moving and shaking going on in week one against a Georgia team that has things probably a little bit further along offensively than Clemson does at that point the more I think about it, the more I feel comfortable putting Clemson on this list of three because this week one game is essentially like a playoff game. The winner of this game could, in, in a theoretical playoff, would go on to win the win or compete for the national title. So whoever wins this game, I would be mind, shocked if we see this game played twice. Exactly, next year. exactly. So after I see it week one, I'm like, well, there you go. There's a national title contender. Whoever wins this game, I, I, I would I would say yeah, they have a really, really good shot to make the national title. Because again, Clemson's schedule is easy, and Georgia should be favored in all of their games. It's a little bit more tough. And if Georgia wins out and, and wins in an SEC slate, like they should make the national championship. People are going to think I'm crazy with where I'm going next, but I'm going to head out to the Big 12, and I'm going to say whoever the Big 12 champion is, I actually think this year they've got a legitimate shot at winning the national championship this year. And I think the two 
main contenders in the Big 12 this year you're looking at are Oklahoma and Iowa State. And ESPN's FBI seems to agree with me when saying that Iowa State's a playoff team this year, so at least I'm not way out there, but maybe I shouldn't be using that as a great barometer for teams to win the national championship either which i'm not but going by my criteria i said excellent quarterback good offensive line solid defense for the first time in a long time maybe all the way back to the late 2000s when they played against florida in a national championship i think you could say oklahoma actually checks all three of these categories excellent quarterback spencer radler is the favorite to win the heisman this year excellent QB he threw for 3,031 yards last year 28 touchdowns and seven interceptions and he was even he even missed some time due to an injury slash benching it felt like early in the year when they were playing like Kansas State and Iowa State you saw him lose a couple of games early on but after those two losses to Kansas State and Iowa State Spencer Rattler never looked back and this Oklahoma team was very much so different the defense for me and I want to go ahead and just scroll down to point number three here about Oklahoma what makes this Oklahoma team different because they've had good offensive lines this is a program that consistently sends guys to the league off the offensive line they they know about that side of things I, I trust the offense more than anything more than probably most teams in college football when you're talking about Oklahoma but the defensive side of the ball has always been the question mark with the Sooners last year first in the Big 12 or excuse me, third of the Big 12, 29th nationally, gave up 21.7 points per game. To compare that, though, you wander over to the SEC, Georgia gave up 20 points a game on the defensive side of the ball. Oklahoma gave up 21.7. It's not a huge difference there. Another great defense in college football that we talked about from last year. You look at Texas A&M. Texas A&M statistically, while I flip over to it in my notes, trying to get over there to it, See, Lance, this is where I need you to stall for me. <laughs> well, as far as Oklahoma... Is, I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Scoring defense for Texas A&M last year was the exact same, 21.7. And so we've talked about A&M having an elite defense. Oklahoma, I wouldn't say Oklahoma has an elite defense, but it, it's solid. Enough to support this offense enough to get them into the national championship picture. So Oklahoma's a little bit more, if, if the Sooners can even be considered a dark horse, the perception of Oklahoma is that they can't win a not, uh, title because of their defense. Watch out this year. I think this team could actually get into that equation. I don't think the Big 12 is what it used to be as far as offense is concerned, but if you're still, if you still, if you're Oklahoma and you're holding teams to 21.7 points per game and you're still scoring at an average about 43, you're and you bring back seven starters on on that defense you're probably going to be pretty good I'm not going to put them in my list because as far as national championship goes I think they can make the playoff I think Iowa State could potentially make the playoff if they make the big 12 or win the big 12 title game but I don't see them getting past an Alabama a Clemson or a Georgia so and I want to bring something up about the the defense last year which is returning seven starters for this season and maybe a concern on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma from a year ago maybe you could say the DBs they're gonna have to figure some things out there and we'll know a little bit about Oklahoma after the first you know five six weeks of the season you know about their defense if they're giving up you know 28 points a game to teams like Kansas State but does it legitimize their defense any for you that they held Florida to 20 points in their bowl game last year picked off Kyle Trask so many times really probably dropped his draft stock to a significant amount with all eyes on Kyle Trask at that point, and he lays an egg in a major game against a major team, does that legitimize the Oklahoma defense for you at all going into this year? I think it does because you look at what Alabama did against Florida. They gave up like 46 points. Exactly. And maybe people can make the point that they got shell-shocked early on in the bowl game or that Florida didn't care, but it, it this something's a little bit different about Oklahoma's defense this year 
considering what they did in that bowl game to Florida. Now they did it against somebody good, not just against Big 12 teams. The other Big 12 team that I said that I think is a contender that still checks this criteria that I don't think is talked about enough going to this season that will be flying under the radar by nature is the team in Ames, Iowa. Iowa State's a team to watch out for. They returned 10 starters on offense, 9 on defense, one of the most experienced teams in college football. Do they check the first category of an excellent quarterback? I believe they do with Brock Purdy going into his senior season. Last year he had 2,700 yards passing or 2,750 yards for 19 touchdowns and 9 picks. He's an accurate quarterback. He's an efficient quarterback. He can move too. He's dual threat. He had 382 rushing yards, 4.4 yards per carry, and 5 touchdowns on the ground. Excellent quarterback there for Iowa State. The offensive line's back. They got four out of five starters coming back. I think they checked the, bo- checked the box there with having a good offensive line. They also have consistently turned out one of the best rushing categories in the Big 12 year in and year out. Average 195 yards per game on the ground, third in the Big 12, 38th nationally. And they, they combined with Brees Hall, have turned this into a very effective rushing attack. So I think they got a balanced offense that last year averaged about 33 points a game. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Iowa State leaving, leading up to that Oklahoma game, which is going to be on the road November 20th. They're going to have to do a lot before they get to play the Sooners. And again, it's just a, for me, it's just about not getting upset. You get to play Baylor, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa. Those are not teams. Texas. If, Texas. Those are teams that you can defeat. Those are teams that you, especially with that Texas game at home, those are teams that you should be favored against. It's just whether or not you can you can avoid shooting yourself in the foot, which we've seen the Big 12 do consistently in the past. Metrics-wise, you look at this Iowa State football team and you say, statistically, if this was somebody else that recruited better, you would say, and Iowa State will be a preseason top 10 team in, in every single poll, I think. I think you see them in the preseason top 10 probably hovering somewhere around 8, 9, 10. So that, you would think that most teams that are in that group, yeah, they're capable of winning a national championship, right? If Iowa State didn't recruit the way they would, you look at their roster makeup this year, they have on the offensive side of the ball a total of one, two, three, four, five, six seniors. And on the defensive side of the ball, they have one, two, three, four, five, six seniors and only two players that are younger or yes only two players that are younger than a junior on the defensive side of the ball super experienced team in college football if this was anybody without the if this was anybody that did not have the Iowa State name you'd be like yeah this this team could could shock some people this year with the way that things could be coming together so that's what I'm saying just keep an eye on them I think they're held back ultimately by the base of talent how far can you actually take a 50 overall recruiting class you know how far can that actually be taken and that's why they get upset in the big 12 every year so i'll actually take them off of my list of teams that possess the ability to win a national championship but they are right there on the fringe if they were just able to recruit a little bit better i mean the the way that the roster is built is definitely built to be a top 10 team in college football in 2021 right even last year even if it was oklahoma state or tcu or a team like that i would still be skeptical of putting them in the national championship conversation because again the big 12 consistently shoots itself in the foot if it's oklahoma losing to kansas state if it's oklahoma losing to iowa state if it's iowa state losing to louisiana week one after somebody on some espn analyst on twitter said before the game it's like oh here comes Brock Purdy's Heisman campaign and at the half he had thrown like two interceptions and they were losing it's like it's you don't know what you're going to get with the big 12 and I'm interested to see with all this experience come back coming back for the Cyclones what they do in 2021 it's like do they avoid the upsets that's the big question they're obviously better than most of the teams on their schedule but unfortunately at its base not always more talented you know like 
they're better than Texas as a football team, but not more talented based on recruiting and whatnot. And then if you catch Texas on a bad day, they can beat you. And same as some of these other teams. So it comes down to can they avoid upsets? I think Oklahoma avoids the upsets. I don't see them losing a game this year in the Big 12, and that would exclude Iowa State from that category. But that's it for that conversation. We've gone a little bit over on this segment. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll start ranking our top five tight ends in the SEC for 2021. On the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. 30 minutes left into the show till the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Stay tuned from that for 4 to 6 as they are every weekday on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. Lance, you just saw something that triggered you. 24-7 Sports. 24-7 Sports has done it again, boys. They have <laughs> they have released their predictions for the SEC. Meaning, like, Was what- it the National Desk? I, I I would assume so. I would assume so. I don't know whether or not that's 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 accurate, but I I would assume that it's the national desk because I don't think the the SEC desk or the Auburn desk or whoever this is would would put some of these some of these records out and uh, and and say that they would be accurate. It's just looking at some of the teams. They obviously have Alabama and Georgia at the top, going thirteen and zero for Alabama, twelve and one for Georgia. They have Ole Miss going eight and four. They have LSU going nine and three, Texas A and M ten and two, and then they have Auburn at six and six. And I, uh, you know, I've I've been I've been critical of of Auburn in the past. I've been critical of like I don't know if Auburn's going to win ten games or whatever this year, but they're not. A, they, they, they will they will get to at least seven and five. Like they, the, this team is not winning six games at the at the max. Like this is just this is wrong. It's just straight up wrong. The article has Auburn losing to South Carolina. And they also have South Carolina going five and seven. Like, how does that happen? Like, nope, that's that's not that's, that's not, not right. the loss that I would have given to Auburn. If you're going to project Auburn to six and six, South Carolina is not the loss that I would give Auburn because this team has a vendetta against South Carolina after last year. And a lot of these guys were here for that last year, and you best believe that they are going to go out there to destroy South Carolina in this back-to-back seasons of having to play the Gamecocks. That is not the loss that I would have given to Auburn. If I was going to give Auburn a loss that I did not expect to give Auburn a loss, I would have given them Mississippi State or Arkansas. I would have given them one of those two. Right. They have Tennessee making a bowl game, and then they have Kentucky going 9-3. and three. In what world... Does Kentucky find nine wins on their schedule? I'm not mad about that. Like, if things don't go as well as we think that they could for Missouri or some of these other teams in the East, like, it, you're, you're looking at a trio of teams between Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and you're basically saying which of these teams does better. And I could see Kentucky being in that factor where they could get to 8-4, and 9-3, and three, especially if they could pull an upset. I don't see it, but <laughs> if they see it and you see it, 
Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that they will. I'm just saying it, one of those teams will go 9-3 this year. Tennessee, Kentucky, yeah. or Missouri. That makes sense. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. we got 30 minutes left in the show. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Welcoming Jacob Hillman behind the board with us. We were talking about that 6-6 six and six Auburn projection from 24-7 sports over the break. I find it interesting. You have some points that you want to make. You agree with it. I'm obviously against it. We've talked about this for months now. I said 8-4 and four for Auburn at least. Let me lay it out for you first, and then I'll let you go. A big part of my reasoning for that is if you take out the teams that Auburn had added to their schedule last year due to the 10-game schedule, which were Tennessee and South Carolina, Auburn goes 5-3 and three in conference play last year, which even if you go 3-1 and one in non-con and you lost to North Carolina last year's schedule, Auburn goes 8-4. And, and remember, people, people lambasted Gus Malzahn for saying that in, the, in that press conference late in the year. What was it, after the A&M game? And I was one of those people. I was like, man, Auburn loses to only good teams, right? So that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration for my projection of 8-4 and four because I don't believe this roster got worse to drop from what was an 8-4 and four team last year to drop to now 6-6 six and six and all of a sudden losing, according to 24-7 Sports' projection right there, to South Carolina. If anything, what this team needed was a shot in the arm to become meaner. And Brian Harson seems to be bringing that type of attitude to this football team to make them meaner. They need to be mean. If they get meaner, I don't think you see the implosive tendencies against teams like Arkansas and Ole Miss and South Carolina. I think you see Auburn widen those gaps rather than see those gaps decrease, which is apparently what everybody is projecting this year to happen to Auburn. And I don't disagree that there are areas that have improved and there are areas that still need improvement and very well could under the new coaching staff. But what I look at is the offensive line is the first thing. And I really think that the defensive line probably isn't going to improve too much. I know Auburn got all the transfers, but I don't know how much that helps it. When I look at the linebackers and secondary, great. When I look at the quarterback, running back, receiver position, okay, we we can we know Tank Bixby. Back. We know Tank Bixby's great. Bo Nix and the receivers are question marks in my opinion. I we know what Bo Nix can do. Can he improve on that? The wide receivers are total question mark in my opinion. So what I look at, I disagree with losing to South Carolina. I don't think Auburn loses to South Carolina. That's and do you see a world where Auburn loses to Arkansas? Yes. I don't like. It's I just, just I think karma. There, I think there's real no. I look at that. I look at that. But also, I just think like I know you're all. I really think that Arkansas is going to improve off of last year, and I think if they improve off of last year, and Auburn kind of stays stagnant, not not because oh Auburn won thirty to twenty nine last year, but because because Arkansas can get much better. They've improved since that trash time with Chad Morris. Now they have Sam Pittman, and I. What I'll say is the six and six all depends on that Penn State game. If Auburn gets past Penn State, and they're four and zero going to LSU, then things will change. But I really don't know if they're going to beat Penn State, and if they don't beat Penn State, I don't know how they play on the road at LSU, and that's where it all kind of goes downhill. You think it falls apart early for Auburn? Possibly, and I don't, and because. That's where my 6-6 six and six is. Lost Penn State, 
lost to LSU, lost to Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, and I think Auburn loses to Ole Miss, too. I think Ole Miss is a good football team. Don't you need another loss? That was six. That was six. Alabama, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and then Georgia, LSU, Penn State. Okay. See, I'm shocked that 24-7 sports in this article didn't say that the loss comes from Ole Miss. Well, see, I can live with that a little bit more than, than Arkansas or South Carolina. And the thing about Ole Miss is just an explosive offense that I think Auburn, even if Auburn, see, that's another game, even if Auburn's not going to go 6-6, six and six, even at that point in the season, we know they're not going 6-6. Six and six, I can see them dropping that because they their offense might not keep up with Ole Misses. Hang on so, real quick. Hang on real quick. Let's go through the schedule and just give me win or loss real quick. Akron? W. Alabama State? W. Penn State? Loss. Georgia State? W. LSU? Loss. Georgia? Loss. At Arkansas? W. Ole Miss? Loss. At Texas A&M? Loss. Mississippi State? Win. South Carolina? Win. Alabama? Loss. So 6-6 six and six right there. There you go. I mean, and, th- and there's room for Auburn to either win one of those games or room for Auburn to... See, and that's another thing, is that they could go and beat LSU, but then two weeks later drop to Arkansas somehow. I think that this team is one of those teams that might win games they shouldn't, but lose games they shouldn't. Well, that's been, that's been Auburn for many years, right? Right. <laughs> and I especially think in a first-year head coach, because we're so used to seeing Auburn under Chiswick, second-year national championship, first-year under Malzahn, made it to the national championship in the second year all the way until November was contending for the national championship. I just I think this is gonna take two to three years at least so for Auburn to build another, back up. Another place of issue that I have with this though is you're expecting Auburn to have trouble with or lose to teams that historically they really don't lose to, right? Five game winning streaks over Ole Miss and Arkansas both last time that they lost to those teams was 2015. Right. And I don't know if I've seen enough during the offseason out of these two squads to be like, yeah, they got better than Auburn. Especially when I look at the roster, you have to account for recruiting base, which is an area where Auburn is more talented than both of these teams, and they traditionally do not lose to these squads. Regardless of how close it is, it just doesn't happen. Auburn has to have, historically, some of their worst football teams – for them to lose to Arkansas and Ole Miss. 2015 fits into that category where they did go 6-6. Six and six, right. Won their bowl game, went to 7-6. and six, And then 2012. Those are the last two times that you see Auburn lose to those football teams. I don't foresee Auburn having this year some of their worst, having one of their worst seasons. That just does not compute in my brain when I look at how much talent is on this team. If anything, I have seen... Last year, a team that went that would have gone eight and four in a normal year. We've already established this. Auburn would have gone eight and four last year in a normal year. I've seen them underachieve with their talent. I think we've already seen maybe some of the worst that this team could do. I can't imagine it getting worse. Well, this year. when you say underachieve, what if that is their that is their you know what if that's their best? Yeah, exactly. Then. We talk about where the average falls to seven and five or six and six. Is it not more likely though that it's been scheme and coaching under Gus Malzahn where we have seen well, countless teams underachieve? Yeah, and think about it. it. Thankfully, they have a full off season where they can. It's not like last year where it's shortened and you have all the restrictions. This year, you can really ramp it up. But I still just, if it is that, it's going to take a lot to really get these guys, I won't say bought in, but really adjusted 
to the new schemes and stuff. That's why I think Penn State's such a dangerous game. Well, I think Penn State, you lose. I'm with you. I said yeah. that that's the game Auburn loses more likely than LSU when we were running that Twitter poll. Because playing such a bad Akron team and then FCS Alabama State. Doesn't do a whole lot to challenge you. It, it's, it's good because the team, it's basically like practice, but full speed, full speed. But, man, I just, I don't think it helps them. And I think they might go into Penn State and... I think it'll be a competitive game because I don't like Penn State. They were bad last year. I don't think they're going to improve much this year. But I think early in the year, it's going to be Penn State's first big game with 100% capacity, probably a wideout, probably college game day. I just don't know how Auburn will respond to that. Your issues with Auburn seem to be, has nothing to do with the talent, has nothing to do with the roster. Auburn's, Auburn's record is fine. With, right, it has nothing to do with that. Your problems with the team is where they're at mentally. A little bit because and installment of new schemes. Yeah, and I think that you know we saw some reaction after Malzahn got fired. I don't think that's going to carry over. But didn't those players leave the program? The ones that were most vocal about it did. But like I said, I don't think it's that will be anything that's coming to a factor. But I think it's just simple that it takes time because it, like you said, they're going to have a killer mentality now. I won't say now, but they're going to be developing that. I don't think that's something that's going to hit you in the offseason. You have to experience a game-like situation for so, you to get that. And, and I'm not disagreeing with you, and, and I love this discourse, and when you say something like it takes time, but I just I want to provide devil's advocate points here, and I, and I do think it will take time. I think you really see the beginning of a rebuild next year, not necessarily this year, but you make a point saying it takes time, but first-year results under Auburn head coaches going back to – Terry Bowden. Yeah. Or well, let's even go back to Pat Dye. Pat Dye went five and six in his first year. Not great. He got it ramped up in year two. Terry Bowden went eleven and up. Tommy Toverville went five and six. It was kind of a similar trajectory between Tommy Toverville and Pat Dye. They both went like nine and four in their second year. Gene Chizik goes eight and five. Gus Malzahn goes twelve and two. So three of these five coaches of the last five coaches that Auburn has hired, they have had at least eight wins in their first season. So when somebody says it takes time, I'm like. The talent's there for it for it to happen now. And see, I'm I'm also Chiswick was seven and five in the regular season. Okay. They they won the bowl. Still game. not six and six, but right. And I just think that it's one of those things where I think Bowden. I mean, that team was just motivated because of the the allegations and the the probation. They were on probation. Malzahn, that was a good team, and I think that with him being familiar with the program, he he was there two years before. He had just been there. Those players he knew. Three years ago, but yeah. Yes. No, it was two years. He was there in 2011. He was there, right, that was three seasons ago because he spent the one year at Arkansas State prior to that, and then, oh yeah, that is, yeah, like, that is two years. Yeah. So he knew a majority of those players, those those seniors, and then obviously the Probably big thing recruited was, a lot of those guys. Yeah, and the quarterback situation, that was the one thing that was the question mark going in the season, but Nick Marshall was just perfect for his system. Lance, be the arbitrator. Where are you at? I I think this team is is whenever I look at this team and their schedule compared to the 2015 team and their schedule it took a lot for that team to end up at six and six it, it took did. a lot for that for it, it took for four overtimes against Arkansas to, for things <laughs> to not lost. go their way yeah I said you're saying there I think this team is more talented I think this coaching staff is 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 better equipped to handle this schedule than than uh, the 2015 team was. 
Uh, I think the situation that Harson is stepping into, he is he's controlling it well. I think this this coaching staff's doing all the right things to get away from what made those 2015 to 2016 Gus Malzahn teams not terrible, but just bad. I think they're, they're stepping in a different direction, and 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 I and I I have hope to the point where I'm I would say that it's like it, it, I I can't. I can see Auburn going six, six and six, but I think it's more likely that Auburn wins seven or eight, nine games. I, I would, I would have, I would have hope there. And I, and I know, like, I'm going on a limb saying six and six because, you know, losing to Ole Miss because that's a lot of back to back games too. LSU, Georgia back to back, which of course Auburn's going to lose Georgia more than likely, and then Ole Miss and Texas A and M back to back. You know, I could see them at least pulling out a win against one of those teams plus I mean Auburn's never lost at Texas A&M so when I go back to these first year records at Auburn since 1981 I weigh the Gene Chizik and the Gus Malzahn first year records more than the other ones because this incorporates the modern era right of Auburn recruiting right prior to Gene Chizik Auburn really wasn't recruiting that great under Tommy Tuberville that was the main criticism about Tommy Tuberville right and then even go back into the 90s and 80s it was just a different era so like we're in the modern era of Auburn football recruiting when you look at Gene Chizik and Gus Malzahn and both of those coaches and and even there were some losses in Gene Chizik's first year where you were like scratching your head because what they lost to Kentucky that year too yeah that was a Randall Cobb game because yeah. it was, what was the, what was the week after the Tennessee game was it Arkansas yeah, something like that. Because I think October was a terrible month. It was. October was a there bad a lot, month. If you go on Wikipedia, there's a lot of red in yeah. October. <laughs> yeah, because they beat Tennessee. I think that might have been the first week of October, and then it all fell apart. So both of these coaches walked in to a place where there was obviously talent, and they put them in the right direction. And when I make my pro- my projections for this year, I have to believe, because Auburn moved on from Alzon that they see something in Brian Harsin or in, in his plan that is obviously not revealed to the public and what vision he has sold them that things will be better than they were under Malzahn or, or at least the same, right? And based on some of the comments that you and I talked about yesterday when Michael Riley Ducker was on campus and he said the players right now on the roster said they like this playbook more than the previous playbook. I have to believe, and then comments like Sean Shiver saying that he likes this running scheme more than the previous one because it allows him to run downhill. You look at some of the, these cookie crumbs of things that players are saying. I have to believe that this coaching staff has set this bunch maybe in more of the right direction than the previous coaching staff did because it seems like they lost their way. See, you, you look at track record as far as coaches in year one with Auburn. I'll say this, and I don't know if it's necessarily a hot take. I think it's way more likely for Auburn to to make it to the SEC championship game than it is for them to go six and six. I don't know if I go as far as to say way more yeah. likely, but I'm with you, man. I am. I, I think that's like I will be a cheerleader with you on that one because it just Auburn has wild things happen. If you want to try and explain Auburn football, here it is: illogical. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't. And I might see. I don't even think I'm looking at it that logically because I think you're looking at it logically, saying, "Well, they should have been eight and four last year. They're going to go eight and four this year." Whereas, where I look at, <laughs> I said at least eight. And four. <laughs> see, and you mentioned you mentioned the the, Lance. the right direction thing. I think Malzahn had the he had those guys by the grip already. That 2013 team, they were there. You don't know if guys are bought in yet at Auburn. Not not saying that. So I should describe it more as. I don't know how to say it 
the right way because I think guys are bought in. That that's not a question about that because I think we're going to see guys. Give you just it up. don't know if he has fully engineered the new culture yes. and the new person. I like engineered better because that like you don't know if it's fully been produced yet. The guys everything. are bought in, but you don't know if it has developed to that point. If right. it has grown, you don't know if the plant has grown out of the pot. The, the is, seed is set, but you don't know if the plant has grown. This yet. has changed so much because think about it. Chiswick to Malzahn. I don't think was. A huge difference, but 2012 is so bad that it's just like, we don't know. This goes from a good, average team trying to improve on that. That's where I look at it. And it's like, can you really go from good to great from first season? Because I'm thinking about the the Gene Chizik, good to great. That was their goal from 2009 to 2010. They did that. I don't know if you can do that in the first year under Harson. That's my whole thing. We didn't know if they could do that under Gus Malzahn. We didn't know if they could do that under Gene Chizik. We didn't know if they could do that under a lot of coaches. I wonder what was going through people's minds when Tommy Tuberville was hired. Because he was 25-20 and 20 at Ole From Miss. From Ole Miss, yeah. And then he's coming over to Auburn. He goes 5-6 and six in the first year. I'm sure people thought that Auburn made a mistake at that point. And Terry Bowden has a big year. Pat Dye goes 5-6 and six in his first season. It's going to be interesting. And I think history tells us a lot about Auburn. And if people would just look at some of these trends, I think maybe – Maybe there would be some differences, but I'm with you. You're expecting maybe on the uh, you're, you're expecting maybe on the illogically bad side. I mean, yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. I just think that they're going to drop because I just I think those early away games at Penn State and LSU could be dis- not disastrous, but just they, they could leave a lasting imprint on this team early in the season. Yes, precisely. It's like what happened to Auburn football in 2018. When they lost to LSU in like week three or week mm-hmm. four, and they just never seemed to recover. They just and never then the improved. Mississippi State game two weeks later, it just kept beating them every single week that season until you really got to the end of it. And then what they played Purdue, destroyed Purdue, and we thought yeah. things were going to be better, and then they did kind of get better in 2019. But we got to take a quick break here. We're going to have a short last segment of the show. When we come back, we wrap it up here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Gall with you. Something else I want to touch on about some of these Auburn projections that I'm just very much so against, but whatever. Everybody can have their opinion, you know, but... The thing that's always used against Auburn, like the, the hot thing to say about Auburn, they're like, well, they're, they're not going to do that good this year, is they talk about Brian Harson. Like, we just don't know what to expect about Brian Harson. Last five coaches, you want to know where they came from? Pat Dye came from Wyoming. Terry Bowden came from Samford. Tommy Tuberville came from Ole Miss. Gene Chizik came from Iowa State, and he only won two games there, four games there, or whatever it was. And then Gus Malzahn comes from Arkansas State, only had one year of being a head coach. And Brian Harson came from Boise State. Now, you tell me of that group, which of these coaches has the best history and the best track record coming into their first year at Auburn? It's Brian Harson. It's Harson, yeah. This is the best resume Auburn's ever hired in the modern day of Auburn football since Pat Dye in the 80s. So I don't, I just, I, that one doesn't sell me either on why this is going to be a bad year for Auburn. At least why some people project it. It's like, no, that doesn't do it for me. Because the other coaches came from worse locations. 
I agree with you. I'm right there with you, man. And again, I think it's more likely that Auburn makes the SEC title game than it is they (laughs) that they don't make a bowl or they go six and six. It's not a joke. It's not a bit. Like I'm dead serious. Like they get Georgia and Alabama at home. Who knows what could happen this year, man? And it's like, yeah, there were some weird years, but it did happen in the past. We've we've seen Auburn overachieve in weird circumstances. I'm not going to go and say that Auburn is going to the SEC title this year, but. I agree. I think it's probably more likely Auburn would go to an SEC championship and overachieve rather than have an abysmal year and go like five and seven and miss a bowl game. Yep. Yeah. There's just so much talent on the roster for them to for them to not get to a bowl. How abysmal really is that though? Like six and six compared to eight and four. How abysmal really is that? That's pretty bad. I think there's a big difference between some eight and four Auburn teams. So think about 2014. That was an eight and four football team. Because that means that they lost. Versus 2015. It means that they they lost to teams that they shouldn't have. They lost to two teams that they shouldn't have if they go go six and six. Okay. I mean, you tell me. You think losing to Arkansas and South Carolina is fun? No. Not at all. But I'd much rather beat those two I teams. <laughs> I just think some fans look at it as like eight and four, six and six, what's the difference? There's a big difference for me. Because <laughs> two more weeks in the college football season, I had a bad Saturday. I'd rather be eight and four. That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron coming up. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.